I'm Matt Bronger. This might help. I am not a doctor. This might help. I'm not a professional. Let's have fun. This honestly is a good time. I'm Matt Bronger. This might help. The podcast. Hey, and welcome to This Might Help with Matt Bronger, uh, the only advice podcast that exists uh, in the whole world, never has. Uh, thanks, guys, for all the good reviews and for listening to this uh, wackadoo thing. Again, this is not clinical. This is for fun. If you need help, contact a professional. Uh, and um, also, give us calls. We need calls, guys. Tell your friends, 323-763-0228. Um, every week we we're, we're looking for more and more people. It doesn't matter. You don't have to have something life shattering happening to you. You might need a, a, a dispute settled at home. It doesn't matter. Just, I want to hear your, your lovely dulcet tones. Um, today I have a, a good friend and a relative who I met later in life, uh, author, uh, of, uh, such books as apostle God lives in St. Petersburg, extra lives and the disaster artist, also a farewell to arms. Please welcome Tom Bissell. Tom, what's up, buddy? Farewell to Arms is my favorite of my books. Um, <laughs> you know, I wrote it under a pseudonym in oh, so long ago in the '30s, uh, but it's it's stuck around and it means a lot to me. Uh, that people are still reading it all these, I, all these years later. I, I have to. I have to. Um, uh, so, so people that are listening, Tom and I are, are, are great friends and, and, and we're, we're distant cousins. Our mothers are cousins. So second we just call cousins second once cousins. removed. Your mother and my father are cousins. Oh, that's first, right. I'm first sorry. Cousins. That's right. I screwed it up. Uh, uh, but I'm glad our family means this much to you to keep the details. straight. <laughs> to uh, be fair to me, I, I have a lot of family uh, and <laughs> I keep in touch with you far more than people I am closely <laughs> related to. Um, and uh, I I'm going to have to, uh, your, your, your wife kind of threw you under the bus a little bit, uh, because I, my been, life partner, excuse life me, life partner, excuse me. See, I keep screwing up there. Um, did I, did I say any other books you didn't write? Cause I thought <laughs> the other ones. <laughs> okay. So, so she wrote, uh, cause I wrote, uh, my, uh, my cousin Tom, who is an author and far smarter than me will be on the podcast. And, uh, she, she would wrote, have disputed that she wrote me on, on Instagram. I'm going to see, I, I gotta, I'll, I'll, I'll find it. So I don't, uh, uh, ruin the quote, but it made me laugh, uh, this morning. Uh, the smarter part is de debatable. He recently ate so much Twinkie cereal, cereal. He made himself sick. So dot, dot, dot. Um, I can neither confirm nor deny that. Look, uh, I do not blame you at all. When, when, when she wrote me that, my first thought was not, ha ha, what a dummy. It was, I would have ate it until I puked, and I didn't know there was such a thing. So, so I would dispute getting sick. I went into hypoglycemic shock. I mean, is that sickness? Uh, is oh it more God. of a condition? <laughs> I don't know. I do know that my heart felt like it belonged in a hummingbird rather than a human body. Um, <laughs> I became very lightheaded. I thought I'd spontaneously gotten cancer. I don't know where that came from, but yes. it, I did need to lie down for about 39 minutes before I felt prepared mm -hmm. going on with the day. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, sickness, I don't know. Uh, was it really traceable to the three bowls of Twinkie cereal I ate in 10 minutes? Debatable. Um, I, you know, this event we're all going through does different things to different people. Yes. And well, I just, I, I, I just thought of something. I think you and I both enjoy binging. Mm. Um, but you know, I think we, we, we don't just, when people, when I say that people might think we're talk I'm talking about just drinking or, or eating or like, I mean, you're a binge worker. Yes. Yes, you have a napping couch in your office that you use. I'm a binge everythinger, uh, which is Got why it. I've limited the amount of bingeable things in my life down to a safe legal minimum. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've told you that my uh, my my mom. I I don't. I can't. I can't. Like, I've never asked her, and I don't think I ever would because I don't think she'd tell me the truth. But. Uh, uh, I think she used to use video games as a, a euphemism for cocaine after your article that you, that you wrote for, was that the Guardian UK? No, it was, no. Okay. Let me correct the record here. It Please. was a, it was a chunk of a book that I'd already written ah. that the Guardian excerpted. Okay. 
and then the story, the legend, because I know millions of people were thinking about this, was that I wrote, wrote this article and then spun it out into a book. But the book was published like three months after the Guardian article came out, which would be a world record mm-hmm. um, just in terms of publishing, uh, just getting a book together that fast. So yes, uh, your mother disapproved of that article. Um, most mothers did. Well, um, give give the give the listeners uh, this a, a, a ballpark idea of what I'm talking about. So the piece, again, chapter of a book, um, yes. was about a kind of descent I had into a dark period in my life where I had severe writer's block, was doing a lot of cocaine and playing a lot of Grand Theft Auto, mm-hmm. and the piece sort of became a meditation on the good things I took from that experience and uh, the darkness that. I think the game helped me recoil from. Um, yeah. A lot of idiots read it as my equating the addictiveness of video. Well, it didn't help that the fucking geniuses at the Guardian called it video games, the addiction. You know, they don't ever run titles. <laughs> um, and addiction is not a word I use in that article or the book mm-hmm. or I've ever really used with my relationship to games or cocaine. Yeah, um, you've, never, you've never struck me as, an, as uh, there's never been a time in my life where I was like, oh, Tom has a problem. You know, like it, right. that was, that was to me, that was like, you talked about a unique and non-existent now part of your life, yes. you know? Yeah. yeah, that's exactly it. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is not to say that I could not have wound up on Junkie Row um, mm-hmm. had I not kept going down that path and I might feel a little differently about it. And it wasn't to say that like stopping to do something, you do, stopping the activity of a compulsive behavior is easy. Holy shit, it's not. Mm-hmm. But um, I do feel like I never really qualified for full-on addict status because I never lied to anyone or ruined my life or lost, you know, a catastrophic amount of money pursuing my my reckless self-destructiveness. I'd always pull up before it got to that point. Mm-hmm. So I kind of feel like I failed to earn the honorarium of the addict, you know, right. or sure. the the title, I should say, of the addict. Mm-hmm. Because to me, an addict is someone who sees the path knows it's filled with dragons and dangerous scorpions and snakes and vipers, looks it down and says, fuck it, I'm going down that road anyway. Yeah, or um, I am powerless to not go down that road. Right. You know, I have, yeah. Yeah, you always, you know, like, you know, you, you and I have hoisted a few and like you're a guy who, who just, all right, I had my three, I had my four and you stop, you know? And it's, there you go. Yeah. That kind of thing. You're not... You're not, uh, you're not like, well, good night. And then going into another room and just like, oh, you know. No, I think you, you and I have talked about this. I love being slightly tipsy. Yeah. I hate being drunk. Yes. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I, I hate being drunk so much that when I find myself getting to that point, I'm like, okay, I don't want this. And then I stop. Yeah, I found is I've always been like a, a a binger, like binge drinker to a certain extent, definitely a partier. But like, I I I used to get drunk a lot, and like now I I basically, if I if I start getting drunk like that, it's like it doesn't even it just doesn't feel good, you know. It, it's that thing where I I don't understand the guys that are like blackout wasted that are that are my age or older. So I'm just like, isn't that just physically painful? Yeah. Well, you're about to enter a whole new realm of this because you are a soon-to-be father. And can I tell a quick story of my one experience with drug abuse and fatherhood? Please, yes. So weed had just been made legal. I hadn't done weed in a long time. And the fact that I'm using the phrase done weed is indicative of how long it's been since since I was a a steady weed user. That's up there with, I don't smoke drugs. (laughs) So I went to the weed store kind of excited, flabbergasted by the professionalism and the, and the, the oh, choice, the consumer beautiful. choice you had for your mm-hmm. vessel of marijuana imbibement. <laughs> Drinks, like lozenges. I was just like, this is amazing. So I bought a bag of cookies and I said to the guy, like, I haven't done this in a while. Like, what is a good dose? He's like, well, how much weed do you sell? I'm like, well, I was a daily user from like age 29 to 34, you know? <laughs> no. um, He's like, so it's been like almost, you know, it's been like eight or nine years since you've done it. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, yeah, maybe do like a quarter of a cookie. I'm like, okay, that sounds reasonable. So I get home and I eat an entire cookie. So, I'm, you know, I'm tough. I know my way around the block. 
Trisha and Mina and I, my daughter, are watching some cartoon. I'm just mm-hmm. waiting impatiently for this to kick in. Trisha was very dubious about this whole thing, mind you. Sitting there waiting for this. Uh, you can open it. Yes. Sorry. Go, go ahead, please. Why? Well, don't let me interrupt your. Uh, uh, your... No, I'm sorry. I thought my very pregnant wife was locked out of the house for. <laughs> But she okay. was she was asking, is it okay to come in the house? I thought, you know, at that moment of panic, of like, I, I got to open the door, you know. Um, so anyway, uh, I'm waiting for the effects of this to kick in. We're watching a cartoon. And then suddenly, it just hits me. And I realize, oh, boy, no, I'm skipping a very crucial part. Yes, please, go back. I didn't feel anything. So what did I do? I ate another cookie. You ate two whole cookies? Two whole cookies. Sweet mother of Christ. So I'm watching this TV show and then suddenly it all just hits me and I just leave and I go to the bathroom where my legs stopped working for just bad, lack of a better phrase. I collapsed on the bathroom floor. I couldn't get up. I couldn't really move. I may have peed all over myself. That part I don't remember. Oh no. And Trisha comes in. She's like, oh my God, what happened? And I'm trying to place it. I'm like, look, it's not a big deal. My legs can't move. Just give me a pillow. I'm going to chill out here. And she said something. And that it's you. There could be a zombie apocalypse. I would be screaming and shitting myself with my shotgun going off in all directions. And you'd be like, this isn't good at all. Um, we should figure that you, you would. You would... Uh, yeah. Your I wife play. found you thinking you might have had an aneurysm or a heart attack or something. And you're like, this isn't what it looks like. This is exactly. fine. I'm fine. My legs can't move. I don't know why this is such a big deal. So she said something that really stuck with me, which was, it's 7 p.m., which then I realized, yeah, I've probably gone at it a little bit too hard. But then uh, my daughter wanted to know why her dad couldn't watch cartoons with her. And she told her the reason. And she came in the bathroom and said, Dad, Mom told me you got sick because you ate a cookie. And I said, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. But I'll tell you what. Now, this is why I'm telling the story. Okay. When I realized how incapacitated I was, and this lasted for hours where I couldn't move my legs, I still don't know what the wow. phenomenology of that was. Now, were you, were, you, were you just phenomenally high as well? Were you kind of uh, just yes. I was or? phenomenally high, kind of lucid. I okay. wasn't slurring my speech or anything. I wasn't freaking out. Yeah. Um, but I remember thinking, like, if something happened to my kid right now, yeah. I would be worse than useless. Uh, yeah. And it really scared me and it really upset me. And I have never done anything like that since because mm-hmm. the last thing you want to do in case of an emergency involving a child is to be a guy whose legs can't function. Um, <laughs> so that was my brief experience where drug usage and fatherhood cruelly intersected and I've never, never forgotten it. So there you go. I'm ready to take questions. I don't know about you. Honestly, I think, <laughs> I, I think, yeah, let's go from there. Let's get, let's get, let's get. I, I will, I will say, uh, just so, just so people have a, uh, some understanding, you are a fen- not only a phenomenal author and someone who's helped me with, with my writing a great, great deal. You also write video games and have written video games for years. You wrote a book about video games and you've written, uh, several other video games. Um, yes. Like, uh, is too that, many video games, one might say. Too many? <laughs> no, they they <laughs> take a lot. What, what did you last work on? Was uh, it The last one that shipped was Gears of War 5. Gears of War 5. Yeah. 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 And uh, yes, so just, just uh, in case, you know, people don't know who you are or anything, I, anyone listening, uh, check out some of Tom's books. They're, they're just incredible. And um, you have a great touch. And I, there was someone who uh, reached out to me on Twitter and was like, like, holy crap, you know Tom? He was my professor at, uh, what? What? at uh, you went to PSU, right? Wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. Writing? Wait, wait, one of my former students, uh, which one? Let me look it up. I'll look it up on Twitter right now. Here we go. Looks like uh, Michael Francis Acker. Mike Acker, yeah, I remember Mike Acker. Yeah, he, he, uh, he went on to write uh, about basketball. Oh yeah, he's a. It says a writer, Blazer fan, and blogger. Hopefully, you're listening now, Mike. But oh, uh, Mike, if you are listening, um, I've kept my eye on you. It's fantastic work. Thank you for going on in this filthy business of writing, and uh, <laughs> I remember you fondly. Um, and never let anyone say that an old college teacher does not remember his students fondly. Um, Mike yeah, good dude. He was a very good dude. 
That's right on. And and I mean, I know you're being facetious calling yourself old because I'm, you know, older than you are. And that's, I'm a very young uh, man. So we're like, old. Let's not sugarcoat it. We're getting there. Nope. Okay. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. We are, we are fresh young daisies. That's you... why we're going to. That's why if this, if this whole uh, Corona business wasn't happening, you and I would be on the Sunset Strip. Yeah. Shots hanging out. Picking up ladies. Rails in the Rainbow Room. And picking just up party. ladies, asking them if they read last week's New Yorker which always works. Um, I would drop the line that uh, you've written in McSweeney's and um, Paris Review, and uh, I was on the Halloween episode of iCarly in 2007. <laughs> gals love. All right, on that yeah. note, let's take our first call. You ready? Yeah. Okay, as I, as I always say, like, you haven't heard these calls, I haven't heard these calls, so we're listening to this in real time, just like the person listening to the podcast. So, okay. pull it, Renee. Hi there, this is Mr. Plow calling from Portland, Oregon. Uh, my question is in regards to authors and writing. Uh, my wife has become an author and, uh, we, um, she has now started writing her third book in, uh, I was just wondering, um, Do people, do authors, like, you just write book after book after book, or do they take a break? Because this is her third book in about a year now. And what's the next process after writing the book, if you can help with what that process is? Because she has possibly three books that need to get to the next level. Bye. Okay, holy shit. Three books in a year? Wow. That feels like a lot. Um and I, you know, and I've published, you know, this is my 10th book is coming out in October. So it's not like I'm, you know, uh, afraid of working a lot. I work a lot and ten, three books in one year feels like a lot. So, uh, when I'm done with a book, I usually just chill the F out for as long as I possibly can, because typically a lot, the tank is empty, you know, the tank mm -hmm. is going to be empty for a while. And so I just let the tank fill up. A little bit whether that's by like traveling or hanging out with the family or just chilling out um, I usually take at least a month off um, from book writing from prose writing I usually you know my other jobs involve writing too, game writing and stuff like that so I don't I can't like stop working entirely but I, I usually uh, just give myself a break from the old book writing process which is very deep concentration a lot of uh, work uh, it's hard to write prose um, and it takes a lot of effort mentally and uh, psychologically. So uh, if your wife has three books and they're ready to go, uh, the thing she should start to do is querying agents. She should read books uh, and the books that she particularly likes, she should look in the acknowledgements to see if the authors thank their agent. And if there's writers that she thinks she has an affinity for or a style like, or even admires the career of, she should approach those agents with a short, sweet cover letter, briefly describe the book, um, and say, would you like to see more? The letter should be smart. Uh, it should not feel pleading. It should feel proud and confident. And then you just see what happens. And when people request pages, you send them the best thing that you've got. Um, I am not going to put a happy face on the next thing I'm going to say. It is fucking brutal out there. Yep. And unless you have got a pro style that is unmistakably great, which almost no one does. Um, or if you've got some idea that is shockingly brilliant, something nobody's ever thought of, which most people don't, you are going to get a lot of rejections. And the bad news is it's going to hurt and it might last a long time. The good news is in the publishing business, you really only need one or two people to believe in you and you can have a career. Um, one or two people at first to believe in you. And if those one or two people are good and have the courage of their convictions, they convince other people to believe in you. And then little by little, you build enough momentum under yourself and suddenly your books are getting published and you're attracting an audience. But um, it's hard. Uh, it's a very hard thing. I know lots of incredibly talented writers who have published one book or no books and kind of given it up because, it, because it's so hard. Um, I thank uh, my lucky stars every day 
that a couple of people believed in me at a, at a time and allowed me to have this career. Because without them, I have no doubt I would have just wandered off the path myself. It's a lot of luck. Mm-hmm. It's talent, but a lot of people are talented. Not everyone is lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, you wrote a, a, an article about which books were successes, which books were not, which books never found an audience. And, it, and, and it, that was, that's while you were, the last part of what you were saying to Mr. Plow was what that's what was in my mind where it's just this wild roll of the dice in the mm-hmm. end where there's no you know our, our our parents if they were wise taught us when we were kids that life is not fair and like that's nowhere more anywhere more true than you know the is your book business yeah it's 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 a lot of just just taking wild shots and hoping yeah, it's funny because maybe you feel the same way. Comedy, movies, TV, book writing, you have to have enough of an artist inside of you to be unique and distinctive, but you also have to have enough of a marketer inside of you to be kind of hollow and calculating. And oh, somehow yeah. bringing those two halves into a place of peace within you where they mm-hmm. can live with each other and not destroy each other, I think is one of the key secrets to having a career and show business or the arts. Oh my God, you're absolutely um, right. I, 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 I've gotten so much better at being the marketing thing, but I'm always in, 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 in awe of other comics that are so much better at me and me at that and have such better ideas of getting their stuff out there. And it's, 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 it doesn't even, I don't even, it's funny when I was younger, I used to kind of be like, oh, well, my stuff's better than that. I'm funny. It, that doesn't even enter my mind. I always instead go, wow, God, I, I like, I, not that I should have thought of that, but I see what that person did there. I see what, you know, it's, and, and you, you know, full disclosure for, for people listening, I wrote a thing that I, I, I'm currently shopping and, and Tom was nice enough. A very only, good thing. To read it. Thank you. Thank you. But not, not only the nice enough to read it, but like give me really good notes. It's just a book I've been working on while I'm in the road the last couple of years. And, uh, your your lit agent was nice enough to speak to me and we had a marvelous conversation and that we talked about that hugely too and i i entered this thing with no real no real hopes and she you know really you know didn't wasn't sure how to sell it so she kind of was like hope you understand i was like absolutely but she gave me really great notes i have great notes from another lit agent coming tomorrow that i'm sure is not going to sign me in my mind you know but at the same time, I'm willing to just listen to anyone who has an opinion on this, who who has navigated this 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 other world and and knows the waters some. You know, it's just kind of this this fantastic journey. To, to back to Mr. Plow, I think his wife, it sounds like, has just written these things and hasn't done anything with them. You know, that's the vibe I got. My sense from Mr. Plow. I, I really think the only kind of novel, and this is this is going to sound like a diss. This is not a diss. Be honest, it's all right. The kind of novels you can write three of in a year are usually going to be genre type novels, um, mm-hmm. which are a little bit more formulaic. Again, not a diss. Are going to be a little bit more programmatic. Are sure. going to have a, like a more established kind of rhythm to them. So yes. if you're writing those kinds of like high fantasy genre novels or like uh, YA skewed, young adult reader skewed kind of uh, low fantasy kind of stuff, futuristic stuff. I can see writing three of those in a year because you want to get a franchise going and they're important when you're trying to write those kinds of books that you have shit in the pipeline. So when someone signs you up, they can come up with one every year and you can get the series going because series momentum is everything for those kinds of books. Mm -hmm. Uh, The good news is those are quite a bit easier to sell uh, from you know, what I understand than like a literary novel from, I don't know, a 46 year old white guy like myself. Um, so I would tell her to go with God, uh, be fearless, uh, get her stuff out there, uh, push, push your way into the business as far as you can without annoying anybody mm-hmm. and, and welcome all productive comments. Yeah. Great. I think that's the that's the biggest message I can send out to anyone being artistic on here is kind of like welcome criticism from people who know what they're talking about and don't take it personally. Um, take it as a chance to adjust and uh, try to fight that all-consuming urge that I have so much of you know just just tell me it's great <laughs> like we all have that but it's like you know someone who's honest with you is is worth its weight in gold 
and if you're if you're really trying to you know get somewhere with it you know yeah so yeah and and uh i appreciate that you didn't call out the vagaries of the caller, because I always have that in my mind. I love everyone that calls, but I'm always like, if you can just be a little more specific, guys, because, you know, <laughs> I've had people that are just like, hey, should I break up my girlfriend? Thanks. Boop. Like, come on, man. <laughs> you got to give me more than that. Uh, and, that's a yes. But I think yes, we, <laughs> she should break up with you. Uh, uh, I think I think we did, you know, in, in that case, in that case, kind of read between the lines and, and hopefully hopefully that helps. Uh, Mr. Plow's wife. And I like that neither one of us are uh, even mentioning that that was uh, Mr. Homer Simpson's name when he was... Um, Mr. Plow's wife is Linda Ronstadt? Isn't that from that episode? No, that oh, was... She becomes romantically... Oh, it's Miss... You're yeah. the... You mean, you're thinking of the Plow King. Plow King. Plow King. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Sorry. I feel like such a Simpsons phony now. I couldn't remember. yourself... Say hello to the Plow King. I can't even do a good Barney impersonation. That wasn't bad. You sounded very depressed. Yeah. <laughs> I think Barney always had a bit of depression behind him. Um, okay, ready for the next call? Next call. Bring it. Let's do it. Roll it, Renee. Hi, Matt. So I recently moved in with my best friend of over 20 years. And... Um, we're running into a lot of issues where she seems to want to basically kind of take over my life. Like she wants to be friends with all my friends. She wants to do all of my hobbies. She wants to spend time with me, with my family and basically doesn't have a whole lot of separate things for, for her life as well. Um, additionally, to make things more complicated, we're both polyamorous um, and we definitely share some guys, um, but there's been some line crossing there in terms of primary partners and things like that. Sorry, that's not terribly specific, but <laughs> uh, basically everything I do, everyone I'm, I'm close with, she wants to be close with, and she's recently talked about how she feels like everyone in her life prefers me to her, and, you know, my thought is kind of, well, you need to build your own life, um, but how am I, how am I supposed to be supportive and be there and be her friend? Because I do love her and she is a wonderful person without, um, you know, being cruel. And basically I just need, I, I need to figure out, and I guess I'm asking what the best way to kind of be like, hey, I love you, but get your own life. What are your thoughts? Thanks. I've got something here. Take the first. Go ahead. Drawn from my own life. Um, caller, uh, I'm going to describe a somewhat different situation, but a situation where someone who cared for me gave me the hard truth of myself. And I'm going to tell you what happened. I was probably 23 years old. Uh, I worked at an office at a New York publishing company. And my fiance, this is back when I believed in things like marriage. Um, uh, I just say that because I've been with the same person for a million years and we're not married and probably never will be. Um, my fiance left me very unexpectedly. The woman I dated through all of college and several years after, like six years we'd been together and she kind of uh, like ghosted me. This is before I even knew what ghosting was. Before anyone knew what ghosting was. This is in the late 90s. Um, How did she do it without, a, without, without texting you? She flew to New York because she was going to medical school. She flew to New York, landed. It was her spring break. She got off the plane. She came to my house. She said, it's over. And she, and she split again. And I realized she needed to do that for herself. Um, everything is fine now. We remain, you know, friendly. But at the time, it, it like destroyed me. I didn't, I was going crazy. And for probably a good solid year after that, I was about as insufferable as a person could be. <laughs> and... All I did was talk because my confidence had been damaged so hard. I talked about myself constantly. I didn't listen when other people talked. And I had this group of friends, people that genuinely cared about me in my office. And then one day, one of them, Patricia Chewy, uh, who, whom I love very much, a good friend of mine, pulled me aside and said, look, Tom, we all really like you, but none of us can stand you right now. This is what you're doing. It's driving us crazy. 
And she just went down a list of things. And I got very defensive at first. And she kept telling me, listen, calm down. I'm not saying this to hurt you. I'm saying this to prevent us from like actively disliking you. We're not there yet. We're not even that close to there. But we don't even want you to take another step further in this direction because you're being a crazy person and it's freaking us out. Yeah. And so I was hurt. I spent a day. I don't think I went to work the next day because I just needed a day to process. And I came out of it thinking, she's right. Yeah. Everything she said was right. Yes. I realized that when people were talking, I was always just waiting to say something about myself on uh -huh. top of that. I realized that I was just being a weirdo about so many things and constantly trying to show off and do this or that. And and Tom, are, you t are you typing while you're talking? Because it's no. coming through. <laughs> no, <laughs> sorry. I sound like no. your hand was hitting something. Oh, it probably was. Okay. Um, Sorry, so, sorry, um, please. Go on, go on, go on. Well, thanks for ruining my thought. And it just what I'm saying is that a caring person giving you the lowdown is important. And if you can frame it in the right way and talk this person through their weird behavior that's freaking you out in a way that doesn't attack them yeah. and establishing the care that you feel for them, uh -huh. give them a blueprint to get out of this. Yes. If they respond well, they're a person worthy of friendship. If they don't respond well, they're probably kind of nuts. Yes. And... God, it's it's funny when when you said uh, I'm going to tell something from my own life. I have a, just a couple quick bits from mine. Uh, one was a guy in college who uh, a friend of mine who is little who was older than us, but was kind of a, just a much more pragmatic, direct person than I ever was. I've always been the kind of like go along to get along person. I'll find the good in anyone, which is very dangerous kind of to be in the long run, but. We had this friend who sometimes was very insufferable and just insanely self-centered. I have always been a self-centered person, but I think to my credit, I've always been kind of aware of it. And like, you know, but like he would just make everything about himself and would just be butthurt about if things weren't all about him and stuff. And my friend was like, we got to talk to him. And it, we, it was almost like a friend intervention where yeah. we all kind of cornered him. We're like, hey, man. And uh my my friend was what's and it, and his friend just never he was like well, I guess you all hate me now just made it like that and he finally shook it off but I don't think he ever really changed mm. and I had another guy who I knew uh, when I lived in L A earlier who was always like he was that guy who like hey are you going to that party are you going to this thing yeah when are you going to get there you know like he wanted to come in with me because it was like he knew that. Like he just wanted to either be friends with my friends or be like like seen like hanging and I did hang out with him a lot. But as I was like, just like, I'll get there. I don't know when. You just go and I'll go. You know, but it was that thing where he just wanted to just and it wasn't out of insecurity necessarily. Uh it was just this thing of just trying to be identified as these people's friend too, without kind of doing the work or having the interaction <laughs> in a little bit. And um, friend cut. Yeah. And mm. I think it, it's just, it's that thing where you kind of just have to, as lovingly as you can, sit down with the person and go, can I just tell you something that's been eating away at me? And I just have to talk to you about yourself. I'm sorry. And you have to give them cold, hard examples of yes. behavior. Yes. Because that's going to that's gonna be what causes the self reflection. Mm -hmm. And they're going to respond badly at first. Everyone does. Oh. No, yeah, no, no, no other way than that. It's like this person is going to be like, Hurt. I knew it. You don't like me. I suck. You know, uh, this is this is why people like you know you better than me. And it's it's it, it is. It's so much easier to kind of a blame and b compare than c work on yourself. Yeah, you know, than actually have that that moment of kind of quiet zen where you're like you know, I like me and I don't really need people to think I'm fantastic to like me, you know, or, or, or this, have this person look at me the way they look at her, you know? So, and it's, that's, that's, that's very hard. It's very, very hard. Well, I can say my friend's intervention genuinely changed my life for the better. Yeah. And that, it made me very conscious of tendencies that I had that I yeah. don't always succeed in tamping down, but I mostly and usually do. Mm hmm. I, I had a yeah, you just reminded me I when I was a when I was a PA uh, in LA, we they would uh, I think I've mentioned this on the show, but they, they would they would have us do work we're not supposed to be doing like moving heavy furniture. 
you know, from office to office rather than hire actual moving people kind of thing. And we'd be like, come on, man, like that's, that's not our job. And then the guy above us would be like, well, you know, I don't know what to tell you, you know, it's either that or you quit or, you know, you, you know, and, and so I would go back to the PA office and just throw a fucking fit and be like, they can't fucking treat us like this. This is bullshit. This is bullshit. And then one guy was like, pulled me aside and was like, look, man, we all know it's bullshit, but you're just yelling at us. Like mm. you're, 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 you're just, he didn't say throw a tantrum, but that's what I was doing. And it was that thing of, of rather than speak truth to power or quit, which I probably should have. You were doing the easy but, thing. Yeah. Yelling, yeah. was like, you know, yeah. this is, you guys, this is bull, you know, and like, all I'm doing is making their life worse. Yep. My fucking tantrum. And it, it's like, I'll, I'll always respect that guy who is my friend I haven't seen in a long time, but like for just pulling me aside and just giving me the real deal, you know? Right, so that's that. Take that with you, caller. That you're doing this person a favor by helping yourself. This is not you being selfish. You know, you're this. There's so many people we've met in our lives where we go, God, how have you gotten this far and no one's told you you're an asshole? Right. You know, because some people uh, do not have the gift for self-reflection. In fact, most people might not. So right. that's the trick. Yep. Yep, and I think uh, everyone uh, listening to this is thinking of the same person right now. Uh, <laughs> you, right? Me. Famously. Got it. Famously, you. do not reflect, <laughs> do not care. <laughs> uh, yeah. Give a crap. Um, okay, so I uh, hope that helps you. And I know it's tough, but just find a neutral area uh, and sit down and you know, you're saving, your, you're saving yourself, you're saving her and you're saving your home. One final piece of advice. When you tell this person this, don't make it super grave and dramatic. Right. Keep it kind of light, if that mm -hmm. means anything. Like smile, joke, try to like, don't drop this like you're reading them like the edict of their own failures. Mm -hmm. Like make it, as, as least painful as you can. I, I think if you just say it's something as simple as, and I'm not saying say this, but off the top of my head, if I were in this situation, I think it'd be like, like, can I just be honest with you real quick? We talk and that person's like, sure. Like sit on the couch, you, you know, you both sit and you're like, you're kind of stressing me out. Just start from there. You know, you're kind of stressing me out and then kind of get into the reasons and, and pay them compliments the things you really mean, how you feel about this person. You, you, you said when you called us, you love her. So yeah, say that it's huge. Say that and say the things you love about her, but just say the thing you just say, yeah, you don't understand it. You don't understand why she acts that way. Mm -hmm. It's hard. So hope that helps. And uh, God, we've had a couple polyamorous callers in the past couple of weeks. Um, really? Yeah. Well, I, I think because that's, she didn't mention that as being a problem, but we actually we had a woman who is uh, um, immunodeficient and uh, none of her partners obviously could visit her anymore. And she's, she's lonely and she's horny. And there was one guy who was like, hey, I haven't been around hardly anyone. Can I come by? And she's like asking if she should. And we were like, fuck that, no. <laughs> like, you have to be healthy. You cannot risk that right now. Yeah. And it's heartbreaking. I wonder about people that are by themselves and lonely and horny right now. I feel so bad, you know? Yep. It's just, it's just a tough time for that. Yeah, I find I have nothing jokey or fun to say about this situation. Nothing. No, no. <laughs> I wasn't looking. I wasn't setting no. you up. No, How'd you I miss know. That, that amazing alley-oop I threw you in the <laughs> slam dunk? To that alley-oop of shit. And, <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah. All right. On that note, let's go to the third and final call. Uh, you ready? I am so ready. Okay. <laughs> Roll it, Renee. Hey, this is, uh, I've called a few times with the David Gabori reminded me that I called back at the old show when Gabori was on and I talked about working at a company that uh, felt was pretty racist and I quit that job. Uh, so I am in a, in a better space now uh, and I wanted to ask another question. I have tried to curb my own drinking and I I uh, have not had a drink in two weeks, which is not that long of time, but um, is probably the longest I've gone without drinking in about 10 years. And I was not a sloppy, like, get drunk every night drinker, but 
I would get, I would, I drink, drink, uh, a couple times, a couple, three, four times a week. Um, so like every other day. Uh, so not drinking for this long is weird for me. Uh, and I'm kind of coming through some of these things that I, um, and again, I'm sorry, I'm rambling on this, but, um, my real question is what tips and tricks have your friends that have gotten sober, um, what have they done in those everyday things where they would have drank? Like, hey, I got a pizza. I want a beer. I'm not going to drink a beer. What kind of things have they done to get themselves away from it? And have they replaced drinking with caffeine like I have uh, to the point where I'm drinking a lot more caffeine than I should? Uh, just curious. Um, I'd like my heart not to explode, so I should probably curtail that too. Anyway, uh, y'all have a good day. And um, I know she's not on the show anymore, but I hope Amanda is doing well. Bye. She's doing great. Uh, just FYI, uh, we haven't talked in a little while, but uh, um, I'm going to have her on the show at, at some point. Just FYI, but she's she's awesome. Uh, Tom, what are your thoughts? Well, I am somewhat alarmed that he's drinking every other day and he feels he needs to curtail it when since this began <laughs> i've been having a couple whiskeys a night basically um yeah i'm 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 a beer or two uh, or two glasses of wine a night yeah sure. um so i haven't really drunk anything in several days because we went to big bear lake and i drank a lot uh like every day for four days straight like you do i really think big bear there's something about that area yes. that makes you Drink. I, I, I shot um, a sizzle for like a kind of a reality show pilot with uh, my friend Ian Carmel. And we went to uh, Big Bear. It was kind of like a lifestyle thing from our perspective. And we got down to the lake edge with our beers and they're just filming us and the lake. And these people off the side were like, hey, don't fucking film us. And we're like, <laughs> we're not. And we look over and they're all older than you or me right now. And one of them has a, a hat on that just says alcoholic. Like no, no joke. No, it's five o'clock somewhere, nothing. And they're all hammered. And once we, we promise to not turn the camera towards them, we were right as rain, but it's just something about that lake is just boozy, so. I, I think the lake is actually made of alcohol. <laughs> um, so here's what I, uh, I can say this to your caller, you know, having had a semi-serious cocaine habit for a while, um, someone who like occasionally drinks a lot several days in a row and thinks I should stop doing this. Um, <laughs> walks are very good. Uh, yeah. In a pandemic, walks are less good, but uh, walks are really good. Reading is really good because it's hard to to read seriously and drink a lot. Yep. Um, so reading is an activity that is naturally divorced from from drinking. That's so true. Anytime I've seen someone in a movie or a TV show and they're like halfway through a bottle of wine and enjoying a good book, I'm like, what? Hold on. This makes no sense to me. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. go on. So uh, walking, reading, and just do activities that don't cause you to think of the thing that you want to do. Mm -hmm. And if uh, uh, that's easier said than done, obviously. But uh, I... Yeah. I I started playing the banjo because I wanted to stop drinking because I was drinking a lot after September 11th happened when I lived in New York city in 2001. Yeah. I spent a good month drinking basically every day because mm -hmm. I was so scared and upset that I bought a banjo <laughs> and became a mediocre banjo player. Well, I also think, I also think his question kind of pertains to what, what, what takes the place of the ritual? Cause I feel like that's, right. The, the, the biggest thing with adults is like, when you're an adult, you get to drink. It used to be when you're an adult, best thing about being an adult, you can smoke. Just light up a butt anywhere you want, you know? Uh, then it was, and, and drinking was a big part of that too. It's like, oh, nothing like that cocktail when you're done with work, nothing like some wine with dinner. Uh, you meet a friend, what do you do? Let's have a drink. Let's, have a, let's meet for a drink. Um, and for that, I would, I would suggest uh, soda water with lots of bitters. Mm. I have a friend who is a, relatively heavier drinker and he said to me the other day it was like he was like i i find just he's like just a just a, a rocks glass with soda water and a lot of bitters is like i drink that i'm like i don't want a drink now i just want this 
And it might be because I think it's because of the bite mm-hmm. and because it has a little bit of a sting. Bitters typically, with exception of a, one or two brands, have a, just a smidge of alcohol, but it's about the same you'd get or even less than a non-alcoholic beer, which technically still has like 0.001% or something in it. Non-alcoholic beer is also... Kombucha is a good thing to drink if you... Yes, absolutely. Um, not a lot of calories. Get, get one of the kombuchas that's not super sugary. Mm-hmm. Like 45 calories a bottle or something. Um, yeah. My wife is pregnant and uh, I, she loves when I, she makes, when I make a cocktail, I make her a mocktail. I'll make her something fruity or weird or whatever. And she's like, it's just nice to have something to sip on that's not water or soda. So, and also if you do the, the, the bitters and soda on the rocks, it looks like a drink. Mm-hmm. So you're never going to be under that pressure where someone's like, wait, you're not drinking. Why not? You know, cause that's, that's how, that's how reliant on alcohol we are as a human society. Well, let me also say this, like I drink a lot of caffeine, like probably way more caffeine than is medically appropriate, but I have low <laughs> blood pressure still. And I drink like eight Diet Cokes a day. But I want to say to your caller, are you stopping drinking so much because of some pressing medical need or advice mm. from a doctor or just because you think a couple drinks every other night is too much? Because right. I'm here to tell you, I don't know if it is. If you're psychologically relying on them and if you're acting like a weirdo because of those two drinks every other night, okay. Sure. But if it's just the assumed, um, uh, the assumed shame of drink, right. quote, drinking too much, like this weird uh, um, arbitrary number that you amount that you feel like you should be drinking. Yep. Maybe don't worry about it. I would, I would absolutely agree with that. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's don't, don't take this as a slippery slope where we're like, ah, you're fine. But you know, if, if you feel okay about yourself, you know, I, I, I don't think what you said was a, if you're being honest, was a lie. It did not feel like an excessive no. amount of drinking. No, it didn't. At and all. It sounded like he was being honest too. Um, I, I have I have a friend who uh, she would she felt that she was addicted to beer, even though she'd only have like three or four beers. But it took only that amount to get her, you know, successfully trashed, and so she doesn't drink anymore. But I, I and I I've really only for the most part known her sober because she's been sober for like over 10 years. But like when she told me the amount she used to drink, I was like, well, what? You know, I didn't say like, oh, well, then have one. But she told me that was the amount that got her wrecked. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, then. Fair. Fair. Yeah. Like not everyone can handle substances. Right. Um, but that said, just because you like a substance doesn't mean you have a problem. And I right. feel like the AA rhetoric which I think AA is a disastrous way to think about one's relationship to chemicals. Hmm. This total abstinence model that when you fail, it's this complete, it's this catastrophist mindset of either you're sober or you're not. When in yes. fact, I think people should teach people a more responsible relationship mm-hmm. with substances rather than that said, some people clearly should not use any substances. No, and it's, I think um, it's really what, but what I think everyone is different. Of what works for you. What works for you without hurting yourself or others or, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I do feel like the, the problem with, and, and it's a double-edged sword, because the problem with your 12-step program is they, it, 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 they feel like there is no other way. Right. You know, it's like, it's like uh, uh, evangelical Christians. There's no other way to God but through Christ. That's it, you know? And, they, but, but if they didn't have, there's no other way, would people stay in the programs that are saving their lives? You know? So I won't say. Yeah, no, exactly. If it works for you and that's what you need, great. But I also have a friend who went to AA when he was in college because he was drinking like a lunatic. Yeah. And then in his thirties, he started drinking again and he realized he wasn't an alcoholic. He was just yeah. a kid. Oh, I'll, t- I'll tell you the funniest example I've ever known was when I got arrested for drunk driving when I was 28 and um, went to what's called a, the the deferral or the deferment program, I think it's called, where you, for four months, you just go to these, you go to a, 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 a educational class on substance abuse once a week and you go to AA meetings twice a week. And so I was going to AA meetings and just like, I'd get it signed and I wouldn't really talk. I would just listen. And, um, uh, you know, I was, I was at the time because I had left uh, Chicago to move to LA, I was in Portland. And I got arrested, so I was stuck in for my parent with my parents for four months, you know, ordered by the by the law because I didn't have enough money to get my own apartment. So, and it actually, looking back, I'm not proud of what I did, but I'm 
I, I'm glad that it happened because I got to live with my parents as an adult. I left home when I was 17 or 18. So like I got to live with them as a grown person. And we had these amazing four months during which I never drank. And it, it, this is the, this is the funny part is that, you know, I'm just going to these classes to fulfill my thing. And my, my mom was traveling a lot. My dad was like, you know, I think I want to go to those, one of those meetings with you. And I'm like, what? Like my dad doesn't really, he has like, you I know, know your dad two at a wedding yeah, yeah you know and like he's like you know when your mother's gone I tend to have that extra you know glass of wine or you know maybe and I'm like how many total and he's like and we're talking like restaurant poor you know like not even the home poor you know he's like maybe two sometimes three I'm like dad you're not coming with me <laughs> You know, and I, I love him so much because he does. Oh, I love your dad so. He much. does want to always be better and change, and yeah. it is that, he's he's one of the real Christians. I your dad say. is one of the most fundamentally decent human beings I've ever known. <laughs> he really is, but it's just at the same time, I'm not going to let him go to this meeting where this woman got sober because she got hit by two cars walking from one bar she'd been thrown at out of to get a drink at another one. Yeah. You know, yeah. like that you, per, you, that, yeah. people whose lives were saved. That saved. person needs napalm level anti-substance treatment. Without um, a doubt. Yeah. And I, our and caller it, does not sound like he does not sound like he needs that. No, it's like, it's like Ned Flanders. Was it like, it's been 700 and so-and-so days since my white wine spritzer. And he says like, <laughs> yeah. You know, oh, that old bit. Uh, uh, is an old bitty, or Ann Landers is an old bitty. Nay, Ann old man. Don't be. You'd be taking up needed space uh, for people that 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 need. I I worked on a, a TV show with a guy who told me that he if he touched sugar he couldn't stop. Like if he had a, a piece of candy, he'd be like. I can, yeah. He would go off to a store and buy a, a bag of jelly beans as big as your head and just eat it all and then get more. And, you know, that was his thing. So it's like there are people that have that, that compunction. I, I don't necessarily think that's our caller. No, doesn't sound like it unless he's doing the polite thing of masking his depravity and desperation, which might be happening. Sure, could be. Uh, um, and I'm not saying, you know, you're better off not drinking. So if, that, if you're fine, then fine. It's true. You're better off not drinking. That's probably true, too. Yeah, that's, that is true. But, you know. But, but what kind of a fucking life would that be? Huh? Am I right? I mean, Jesus Christ. Yeah. No, look, this has been my advice for everyone in quarantine. Like, this is hard. This is hard yeah. stuff without a good solution. We're all going through an experience that literally no human being in a hundred years has been through. Yeah. Um, and mass, I mean, other, a global situation that we haven't been through as a planet in a hundred years. Yeah. Uh, if you want to drink a little bit, uh, just be good to yourself. Do stuff that makes you feel good. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure it's that I, I have like one of my rules is I don't drink when I'm very, very, very sad, you know, yeah. cause I just know all I'm doing is kind of pouring the numbness. And it's and I'm not going to come out well on the other side. I'm just going to get sadder. Um, yeah. So it's like I think it's kind of go by go have that moment of like why why am I having a drink right now? Oh, to feel a little better, to celebrate a little bit, whatever it is, you know, to get through this. But just make sure it's not I'm I'm drowning myself in this. Yeah, yeah. I just drink to feel something, just to feel something again. <laughs> that's that's, that's all I do it for. My Let's nerve endings are dead. Uh, I'm a husk. I just, just want to touch that fire again. You're just, you're just sharing, you're sharing stuff that sounds literally terrible. Like I drink to ignore my kid. Like Jesus, Tom. <laughs> I drink to kill the pain of my child being mediocre. Um, <laughs> Your child is far from mediocre, of course. Uh, you're not trying to teach her how to read right now. Holy shit. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Stuff is hard, man. Well, I mean, I don't know. Maybe you shouldn't start with, uh, you know. No, she can she a little bit. She's just not very interested in it. And um, I mean, are you beginning with Russian literature with her? Is oh, my what? God. Uh, very dense. Does, like, does Frog and Toad all year long sound like the most... Uh, no, she's good. It's just I'm realizing I'm committing so many new parent mistakes, and I'm not even that new of a parent. 
I'm beginning to like take things away from her because she's not taking reading time seriously. And I'm like, great, now I'm making her associate learning to read with everything she dislikes. Wonderful. Let's keep doing this. Well, I think you gotta you gotta give yourself take all that with a grain of salt because as you just said, we're living in something we haven't experienced as a planet in hundred years. So yeah, you're you're <laughs> I'm not there, but I'm sure you're doing fine. You know, there, of course there's mistakes, but it's just like holy shit, this kid can't play with anyone. Can't uh, sucks. Go outside. I know, dude. It's hard. Oh, it's I, hard. I and we're lucky. We're lucky. I'm not complaining. There are we, parents that are in a yeah. million times worse situations than I'm in. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. Absolutely true. But that's always, you know, going to be true for some people and for other people. Your 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 struggle is real. I've yeah. friends I have with 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 young kids. I'm just like, holy god. No, it's it's destroying marriages. It's destroying work. It's destroying. Uh, yeah. But you know, thankfully we have people at the top of the situation who understand the gravity yep. and are taking the necessary steps. Thank God. Get us out of it. Thank God. I sleep well at night. I do. Every day, I just know that you know people are thinking about this problem really hard with no calculation or buried motives and uh, are just really working for the good of the country. Yeah. Allowing us all pull together to support each other. Yes. There's no one that, that's hiding any sort of records of financials from all of us. No, and, and it's not. And there's we're no. We're bringing, bringing massive, stupid. Yeah. D student level graph charts to interviews to go, look, no, you're not, you're ignoring my chart that says I'm doing great. You know, like none of that's happening, which is great. And it's, and it's been especially wonderful to see like, you know, how this 30 year program of enforced stupidity hasn't affected our ability to like come together and support each other. It's unity. Um, it's just unity and it feels great. It really <laughs> it, it feels like this country's the best it's ever been. And uh, it makes me proud to be an American. It's true. It's true. And I and I and I think right now we just gave everyone in uh every other country listening to this podcast a little warm feeling, you know, at the kind of ha ah, there but for the grace of the devil go I. Yeah. I, oh. I mean you know, I'm used to traveling abroad and people being like, Wow, America's so rich and powerful, it does everything so well. <laughs> And it's going to be different after this because it's just going to be like, where are you from, America? Ooh. Ooh. I, when I was backpacking through Europe, everyone, you know, not everyone, but a lot of people treated us like shit because of George Bush. Um, in like, yeah, that know, was always wrapped up in like feelings of resentment. Because we do too much. We take too much on. We presume too much. We're powerful. We're mm -hmm. stupid. We're a big dog with its tail wagging, knocking over all the shit in the living room. Sure. Now we're just an old, lice-ridden, mm -hmm. rabid mutt that sleeps that, under that the floor. won't take the lice cream. Yeah, <laughs> that nobody even wants to go near. But it's it's now. I mean, like when he was elected, uh, I had just left England, and my wife was still in England. And the next day was the election, and she's like, "Call me in the middle of the night, wake me up, tell me who wins." And I'm just like, you know, it's gonna be Hillary, whatever. And I had to call, I had to wake her up. And she was like, oh, shut up. And like hung up, went to sleep. Like she thought I was fucking kidding. And so yeah. she got up the next day and I mentioned the time they were like, they treated us like shit in, uh, in 98 when we were right there in Europe. And like, we were like in, in, in Holland and France and Germany and England for a little. Uh, but this time my people were talking to my wife and were like, are you all right? You heard what happened. Well, yeah, England doesn't have much to fucking brag about these days. Either. Not now, no, but... The two beacons of modern Western civilization, and we're both like a fucking Ren and Stimpy right now. Compared <laughs> to the um, <laughs> On that note, is there anything uh, anything you want to share? You, you have a book coming out, right? Just I, have a book, I have a book coming out in October. Ah, okay. It's being published in mid-October, which is going to be the time that I think most of America is going to be dying for literary short stories. So... Yes. Uh, it is called Creative Types, and uh, it's a book I'm very, very proud of. Awesome. Well, everybody, check it out and look into Tom's other book. Tom, this is this has been awesome. Uh, it's been great catching up and uh, and and really digging in to people's to people's foibles with you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Cuz. You betcha, man. Looking forward to when we can grab a coffee again. Me too. You know. Me too. All right, buddy. Take care. Thanks, man. Hey, thanks for uh, listening to my little podcast, This Might Help, uh, with Matt Bronger on the Laugh Button Network. Um, 
listen, why don't you give me a call at 323-763-0228. Again, that's 323-763-0228. Don't overthink it. Just call and uh, share something with me. Talk about a little problem you're dealing with or just something that's annoying you. doesn't matter. Don't think about it. Do it. 323-763-0228. Thanks. This Might Help with Matt Bronger was created and hosted by me, Matt Bronger. Produced by Outer Circle Media. Executive producers Matt Kleinschmidt and Robert Kelly for the Laugh Button Podcasts.